Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Milius, and I'm so glad that you're here. And before we get into the show, I want to invite you to visit jennifermilius.com forward slash start to get free resources focused on helping you get your book and message out into the world. Choose what resonates and take steps towards being seen and heard, showing up at the table, owning your space, and sharing your book and message. And now let me introduce to you Kristen Kiska. Kristen Kiska is a native of Virginia, where she currently resides with her family and their moody tabby, Boom. She holds a BS in commerce from University of Virginia and an MBA from Northwestern University. She is the author of a dozen short stories published in anthologies. The Hint of Flight is her debut novel. Kristen loves hearing from friends and readers at kristenkiska.com. Let's dive into the pond and meet Kristen. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Kristen Kiska. Kristen, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Jen. Thank you for having me on the Tough Fish. This is a great opportunity. I am so glad you are here. We are going to have so much fun. We've already been having fun chatting ahead of this. So now it's, I mean, I kind of should have hit record at that point, but now that we're here, (laughs) how did you get into writing? Oh my gosh. Well, this is a second career for me. I studied and got an MBA and I worked international finance and was on Wall Street and had this whole finance and marketing career. And then in uh, 2008, when the recession hit, things really slowed down work-wise for me. And I had this idea. I was reading a book by Dan Brown. It was the lost symbol. It was set in Washington, DC area. And I was reading this thinking, my gosh, I love the setting. I can imagine everything. This was my backyard growing up. This is wonderful. Someone really ought to write a book set at UVA, University of Virginia, which is where I went to school because they've got all this history and secret societies and traditions. And then I thought, hmm, maybe I should write a book set at UVA. (laughs) (laughs) And then so we started and within one week I had a seven page bullet point outline and I just started writing when I had a little bit of downtime and it took a couple of years and my husband was hoping this was a phase. It wasn't. (laughs) And now I am working on my fifth novel and I have my debut novel, um, which was just published and it was just so exciting. And so it's not a phase, it's a thing and I'm just doing it. So that's okay. how I got involved. I love so many things about what you said. First off, I love that book too. It uh-huh. is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> it is so, it is such a fantastic book, but I love that that created the idea to say, well, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. And so you wrote about something familiar, but then made it like, how else can you take this? And I know that you have suspense girl as your you know, Instagram as your part of the branding. Right. Was that something that also kind of happened as a result of writing this first book with set in UVA? Ultimately, yes, it was an organic progression. When I first started writing, I didn't anticipate the trying to go the publication path. It was for me, it was an homage to a a school that I loved and a story. And it was sort of, you know, a, 
a mesh of all these memories and suspense and because I enjoy reading suspense and thrillers. And then down the road after getting an agent and writing more thrillers and publishing short stories and mystery anthologies, I was, you know, the one common thread was everything I had and I wrote had suspense in it. And so I was trying to brand myself and kind of came up with this hashtag suspense girl because I thought, well, yeah, that that's me. <laughs> so it was a very easy progression from there. I love that. I love that so much because that to me just, you can tell the joy that 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 you have with that that it, that it brings joy that it feels exciting to do and it feels like that passion coming through and i think that's something that is so important when you're pursuing when you're pursuing writing a book especially any creative endeavor but when you're writing a book it's it's a marathon it's something that you you are showing up and you're working on and you're and even if you've plotted the whole thing you still have to show up and put the words to it you still have to develop each each chapter each scene each character all the different parts to bring it together and then go back through it again with edits and then go back through it again <laughs> yeah. and wait probably one or two more times before you go okay i think this is about the best i can do it i'm going to move to its next phase so it really is a marathon and you need to have that passion and i love that you do you can feel that I think you need to love the journey. If you don't love the journey, you should not be in, you know, writing novel length fiction because the journey is a marathon. Like you said, it's, you know, you have to be willing to stick it out at mile 21, knowing, <laughs> knowing you still have a long way to go before the end and that, oh, by the way, the scenery. <laughs> so <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, by the way, the scenery is we're talking yeah. about running. Oh. <laughs> so, so Let's talk about something that I think was really cool that we were chatting about ahead of time. And in this new book that's out, The Hint of Light, you used a few techniques that I think are just so cool and that we really haven't talked too much on the show about. And one of which is dual timelines. And another is leveraging the prologue and epilogue within the book. So I would love for you to Talk to me a bit about how you decided upon wanting to do dual timelines. Wow. Okay. There's a lot to unpack right there. <laughs> I'm going to say that the novel that we're talking right now, um, The Hint of Light, was not the first time I'd used dual timeline. Um, yeah. What it was, though, it was a culmination of me trying to encapsulate one character's defining event. Yeah. And so it was the before timeline was before this event happened. And the after timeline was after this event happened. And what I was trying to do was utilize both a, a before and after. So I had consecutively an after a before and after a before and after a before chapter with three different point of view characters. And, and to be honest, I don't that that was ambitious that I pulled that off with having different characters hop different timelines was it was more than I can recommend anybody doing outside of the box that's it just spare yourself stick with two characters or one character going before and after to try it the first time but what I really wanted to do was utilize that traumatic event as a pivot point for the novel and to show the impact that event that had on others. And then the events leading up to that really, it was 
elevated because of that structure. I don't think I could have told it chronologically because then that event would have happened halfway through the story. And yes, it would have been um, understandable and the characters would have lived it through that sequence, but I really felt that it told it was easier and more effective to deliver it in the dual timeline sense. And then you had asked about the prologue and the epilogue and those two pieces bookended the, the entire novel, but the critical event happens in the book in the epilogue. And so I really did need to leave readers waiting and guessing what really happened and find out kind of at the end of the story as opposed to midway through the story. I thought it would be a little bit more impactful. I love everything about that. And you're right, there's more to unpack even with that because I am just so sitting over here beaming going, this is just my cup of tea. So, so when you're talking about uh, the timelines, let's start with that first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And to your point, you're moving back and forth and mm -hmm. you're moving back and forth with three characters. So we're staying right. in each character's head experiencing the before in their point of view, how did you keep that straight? Did you work with one character all the way through and then take the next character and work them through and then start figuring out their intersections? Like, how did you work through that? That's a really good question. What I ended up doing is right out of the starting gate, I had the three characters. And a little side note, I went back and even thought, should I make this easier for readers and just do two characters and just not have the, the hopping around? But I realized all three characters did have their own lens, their own story to tell. And there was no way I could think of solving and resolving to, to whittle it down to two characters. We needed all three to be in there to have this story told in the way that I wanted to share it. So the way I actually ended up writing it, I pre-plot it and what my, I conscribed my dining room table to be my model. And I had a stack of colored note, sticky notes and my pencil. And I was just furiously writing little bullet points. This is going to happen here. This is going to happen there. And I plot the whole thing with sticky notes, one sticky note per chapter, one color per character. So, and then I had before and after alternating. So I knew what chapter was coming sequentially. And in doing so, I had, and, and I limited myself so that each character only had a certain number of chapters. So I think, I don't know, I think it ended up being like 11 to 12 chapters per character. Um, one of them has the extra chapter. And so I knew that each of them had to tell their story in these limited sticky notes. <laughs> you had to pack a punch with each one. So I was able, by the use of sticky notes, which are not permanent, I was able to move and figure out what piece of information I wanted shared by when in the story. <clears throat> and my dining room table was very patient with me. I'm surprised it didn't like, you know, ask for a raise or something. <laughs> I ended up having this great timeline at the end. Now, once I figured out which character was telling what piece of it and when, I ended up writing all the, I wrote it chronologically. So all the before chapters uh, were written first. So the first half of the book, 
And then I wrote the epilogue as it would have happened chronologically. And then I wrote all the after chapters. So that really did help me keep track of what character knew which event when, um, because I wrote it chronologically. I knew no one would know have more information than what had previously been experienced. So that was helpful as well. Doesn't mean that I didn't trip over myself <laughs> along the way. I did try to do this in a NaNoWriMo month. And so two thirds of this book got written in a fast draft. Um, and uh, that was definitely ambitious as well. But it also kind of helped me approach this as more of like a movie playing or or binging a series or something like that. I was able to 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 stay in the characters' heads intensively. And that helped. Yeah. So as I'm hearing that, what's coming up for me is writing that in order also helped to make sure that their reactions are genuine. And to your point of what's known, then it's when you're going back and saying, okay, now how do I chop this up in a sense of showing a before and after, showing a before and after, then it becomes, uh, well, this reaction seems appropriate, but it might be a bit more, it could be misleading in a sense, like, oh, maybe they didn't think that at the time, like when you when you read it all the way through and realize everything that happened, you almost want to go back at the beginning and go, wait a minute, what just happened? Wait a minute, did I, I realized the double entendre there, or I realized they actually didn't know, but I thought they knew or something like that. But that's kind of what I'm hearing you to be able to do by writing it all the way through, then piecemealing, so to speak, it back together. It's doing something like that. Would you agree? There, there's some heavy lifting going on, but yes, that is the goal. If my reader gets to the end of the book and the end of the epilogue and says, whoa, wait a second, this fits, but I didn't see it coming. And, you know, and then they start thinking in their head, how did, how did I not assume this was going to happen? But yet the pieces are there. It fits. It, it is designed to fit. So, you know, you're engineering a reader experience going through this. And it's kind of hard to write a book that fits organically, but still has this punch at the end. And, and so my goal, the biggest compliment anyone could ever give me as a reader is I thought about your book after I closed it. I yes. wanted to go back and check out other chapters. I wanted to see, you know, that was such a journey and I wanted to see why didn't I pick up that one point or why did I write this off as, as insignificant when it actually was critical, you know, things like that. And mystery writers do the same thing. They plant in their red herrings and they, they want to mislead you and they want you to think one thing when it's actually another. So I, I cut my teeth as a writer and a reader in the mystery genre. And so I had to do this. I had to manipulate the readers in some sense. I had to, it, it, it's not a book if it doesn't shock you in some way. So I needed to do this. Well, so you're that, welcome. <laughs> but, but I love that you brought that out in the sense that the whole purpose of, you know, I say the whole, one of the purposes of fiction, especially suspense or thrillers or mystery, it is entertainment. It is intended to, it's to give you an escape and it's entertainment. It might even be to get you to think like, oh, I, I'm thinking about something a little differently now because of 
getting that inspiration, I saw that and I've learned that things aren't always what they seem because of having read, you know, something in suspense or read something in mystery or what have you. I, I love that. So, so when you, so you write the first pass, we've plotted, mm -hmm. we've written the first pass and, and you're going back through and starting to put it together differently. So before, after chapters and such, mm -hmm. how much weaving you know, or rework did you need to do to blend them so it didn't feel choppy and you're you're moving through the timelines not feeling like you've just gotten jostled between timelines well I was very concerned about that with one of the point of view characters there are three point of view characters one of them Kyle is only in the before chapters one of them Margaret is only in the after chapters but I have this third character Allie, who bounces in between before and after, and she needs to. Again, I tried to look if there was any way to keep her in one timeline narratives, but it wasn't going to work. I needed her in both for various reasons. She had, mm -hmm. she had some weight to pull. Mm -hmm. And so what I ended up doing to help readers remember, in addition to assigning each chapter either before or after at the beginning and the character name, for Allie in particular, I made her in the before chapters, a high school senior. And so she was a little less mature. She was, um, uh, versus the after chapter, she was a college student. So it's like, I gave her a different setting. I gave her a different, almost a different shape to her life, if you will, and different characteristics than I did in the after chapters. I wanted that maturity in there. I wanted that um, that season that maybe even a little bit of cynicism in there. So her voice changed with uh, the before and the after. And that helped me keep her straight when we were writing. But as far as blending the chapters to make them seamless, that's a really good question. I don't know that there isn't that jostling feeling for the readers there is for me because I wrote it chronologically and I, as the writer, can very easily hop to the next scene and know exactly where it is because I have lived in these characters' heads for a long time. <laughs> but as far as the reader experience, I would love some feedback to find out if they really did feel tossed in the sea. There's definitely these different emotions and character revelations that happen in each of the the timelines so it could be that that could be a jarring experience however i will also say that i used the, some of that to my advantage because i would take those chapter endings and leave you with a question that that they had just discovered or some piece of information again ding 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 suspense girl and then jump to a different character in a different time time narrative. And so I'm hoping readers are saying, well, I can't put the book down now. I got to find out what's going on and where do we pick up this thread and, you know, things like that. You can use a dual timeline to your advantage mm -hmm. to keep readers interested and invested in reading. If they're just picking up the thread in the very next chapter, it's very easy to put it down for the night and say, oh, I'll keep reading tomorrow. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. And I'm like, no. No, you're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're going to keep reading because guess what? You're about to pick up that old thread that we dropped three chapters ago. So 
I, I I'm that. evil that way. No, no. But what I'm hearing actually is you're, you're right that there is some intentionality that when you are moving the timelines, you are deliberately moving your reader and they, they might feel a little, wait, where am I? But once they learn your rhythm a little mm -hmm. bit, they mm -hmm. understand Allie looks like this in before she looks like this, or she sounds like this, you know, and after those are things that are done to create a little bit more fluidity that's happening. Those are, that's a tech, that is a technique that can be used to help the reader to kind of go along and go, okay, I'm in a different space. And it, I now I'm following where I am without literally feeling like I've been plucked and put every single time. That's more of a, I've put you here, we've moved, wait, we're going to do this again. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, and, and you can, you can see it in different TV shows when they change, like maybe they go from color to black and white, they go back to color. They're showing you different things that they're doing to move you in between two different spaces. And once you figure out what those clues are, you know, so the fact that Allie is your, is a constant and Allie has grown in the different spaces too, that creates some of that, that stability. And in mm -hmm. the same breath helps to be able to move them. <laughs> right. Right. And you're right. This is entertainment. There's a story being conveyed. There are thoughts that I want you, I want you, I want readers to invest both in the characters, but also the journey. I, I need it to be relatable. I need it to be surprising. I need them to become one with the characters and invest in each character. They might have their favorites. They might not like some of them. They may relate to some more than others, but I need them invested in the story. But I also want them to be hooked. I yes. want them to be in for the ride. It's not an easy story. There are lighter moments, but there are really dark moments in this story. So I need them. If they're not invested by the time we get to the dark, it's very easy to put it down but I need them to know I it, the revelations. I need them to, to understand like, oh, wow, that's why this person is so off kilter, you know? And then, yeah, I can see why now I can see how that snowball effect may have happened, you know? And that all kind of comes down to another, uh, I had a bunch of themes in this book too. One of them being unconditional love. And that's how I kind of marry the suspense girl with the women's fiction is when you put unconditional love in a pressure cooker, people react in unexpected ways. It's relatable, but like we've all heard that story of the mom who's who found their toddler under a car and they lifted the car. Well, unconditional love can make a person do some unbelievable things. And, you know, when it's put to the test, it's it's just hard, but it's also relatable now as a mom. I'm like, there's a car on my kid. I'm lifting that. I don't care what you do. You don't tell me I can't, you know, physics, huh? You know, I'm lifting that. So I'm going to do whatever I can to help my kid. And so there are ways that you can work that as an author to your advantage. They say sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Well, in fiction, you still have to follow the rules of physics. <laughs> you don't have to in reality. Reality that can that can exist because, you know, there's video capture and whatever. But in believe it or not, in fiction, you have to follow certain rules or it's not considered believable. <laughs> but it's it's a fun experience, the whole thing. You know, so one of the things that I'm that's coming up for me is we've gone through the book, we've 
been figuring out the timelines and the dual timelines, not just dual, but you also have the multiple point of view. So there's mm -hmm. all of these pieces coming together, but you intentionally chose to have an epilogue. And you know, instead of it being a final chapter per se, it's delineated as an epilogue. Would you talk a little bit about why that choice was made and how you made use of it well? Yes, but I'm going to be very careful here because there's spoilers that I don't want to trip future readers up on if they have the experience of reading The Hint of Light. <clears throat> the epilogue, as I wrote it, and I knew this from the beginning, it was not going to be told from one of my three point of view characters. It was going to be told from a fourth character. Readers will know this character when they get to the epilogue. But it was written with a new lens, if you will. So this, we, we've met this character, we, we know this character, we feel like we understand this character, but what we don't know is this character's direct story. We haven't been in this character's head. And the epilogue is the one time that the readers get to see this lens and the lens, actually the title is a play on this. And I'll share this with you. The Hint of Light um, was the third title, believe it or not, of this novel. And it's taken from a line in the book. Margaret is looking up to the sky and the hint of light comes through. And all of a sudden there's this new clarity, this new hope that is introduced into the story and readers have really responded early readers have really responded to that but there's a double play on this title in the epilogue there's also a hint of light and it offers something it offers that aha moment so the hint of light is that light bulb moment <clears throat> when there's clarity and the clarity it it's very evident in the epilogue that this character saw all the events as they unfolded and interpreted them differently. The clarity was a, a different, a skewed view of all of the events. So that is the hint of light. So the hint of light in one chapter is very good. The hint of light. And then this epilogue is dark. And so that should be some, that offered a chance for me to elevate and leverage the suspense in the story. But there was so much heavy lifting in the in the epilogue that I felt after writing the entire manuscript that I it needed balance. It needed some counterbalance. And so I ended up doing the unthinkable, the thing that they tell you never to do. I wrote a prologue for this book. And it's and in doing so, it was one of those things like having queried hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and whatever, you hear all of the the things you don't do, no adverbs, no prologues. And, and so I was writing this, but I knew that the book would be better for the counterbalance. And so the prologue is blind, but it's written from the same perspective of the POV in the epilogue. And so I felt that that at least planted the seeds that would be developed throughout the narrative, the dual timeline in the story and the three POVs. And then we get to the epilogue and I hope readers realize that all the pieces of that plant are there. So, yes, yes. And I love what you said earlier, where, you know, once somebody's done that, 
they feel like I have to go back and read it or even more so they tell a friend you have to read this and after you do we have to have a conversation because to me like a book starts something but it can also you know it and the writer starts it but with the reader they can continue it forward through a conversation through passing it to someone else who you know, when you see somebody in the bookstore who you like that too. Oh, me too. We must be friends now because of that kind of a feeling. <laughs> you know, that same kind of thing. You're creating that that story that you're planting more seeds right. because you wrote a book and because you sh are sharing it and talking about it. So I I love that you mentioned that. I love that so very much. Well, I mentioned that the ultimate compliment to me is somebody who keeps thinking about the story when it's over. Yes. But I hope they take that to their book clubs. To be honest, I would love the the more than wine moment where the book clubs are members are chatting and they're arguing. They're no, 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 no. Kristen didn't mean this. She meant that. And it's like they don't need to worry about what I meant. I want them <laughs> to talk about what they saw in these characters, how they because here's another thing, each reader is bringing their own lens to the story. And I want them to see it through their own lens and know there's no such thing as second chances and no redemption is no, but somebody else can say, yes, redemption can work. And look, someone was working and making the steps to redemption. I want those dialogues. I want that argument. I want the, 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 the feistiness to come out over the Prosecco, please. You know, <laughs> I love that. So with that in mind, Kristen, where can people connect with you? Where can they get your book? Because this has been so much fun. And oh, thank you. Um, we have to have them connect with you. I would love that. So I am on social media. I'm on the the platform formerly known as Twitter, now X, under the profile at KKM Who, K-K-M-H-O-O. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Kristen Kiska Author. And you can find me at my website. And on my website, which is kristenkiska.com, so my name.com, you can find me. And under the book, I have all the buy links where you can find me in bookshop or Barnes and Noble or Amazon, or it's in audiobook. So it's got audible. You can download to your Kindle. You can do all the formats. Please do <laughs> have fun with it. And there are book club questions at the end as well. So you can have fun conversations with your book club. And I love connecting with book clubs. I've been invited to a few in person and I will zoom with you and I will have all the conversations just, you know, don't nail me for being mean to my characters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Kristen, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. This has been truly a treat. And thank you for welcoming me into the tough fish world. I love it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening today. I'm so glad you were here. I'd love to hear what resonated with you from this episode. So connect with me on Instagram at author Jennifer Milius and let me know. Your book, your message, your body of work is worth sharing. And you are the right person and the only one who can share it. Keep writing and keep putting yourself out there because the people who need to hear your message the most are waiting for you. They are waiting for you to step up to your next level of genius so they can have the impact they're meant to because you inspired them. 
I'll see you soon.